If you uh, have your Bibles, if you'll open to Acts, the 17th chapter, that's where I want to start this morning, Acts, the 17th chapter, and as you turn there, uh, I'll give you just a little bit of background of uh, the scene that we're fixing to read about. Uh, Paul and Silas uh, have been, uh, and Timothy, have been uh, out preaching at different places. Uh, They find themselves in a, a place called Thessalonica. And in Thessalonica, um, their preaching basically causes a riot. Uh, uh, The Bible uses words like assault. If you remember uh, where this is where uh, they uh, go into a man named Jason's house and they accuse them through their preaching of turning the world upside down. All of these things happen at Thessalonica. And so uh, at Thessalonica, uh, once they uh, have preached there, there's a great riot that happens there. Uh, the, the brothers that are there, they tell Paul and Silas that you need to leave here. You need, and, and so much so, the danger is so real, they tell them that you need to leave out of here by night and escape out of the hands of these men of Thessalonica. So they go into a place called Berea. And uh, as they're there teaching and preaching in Berea, the men at Thessalonica get word that Paul and Silas and Timothy are, have moved from Thessalonica to Berea. So they send a, a band of men to, to go to Berea to continue to harass them. And when, um, word, uh, when, when they get to, uh, uh, when word reaches Paul and the brothers there at Berea that the men of Thessalonica are coming, uh, they tell Paul, you've got to get out of here. And so what you see is that Paul... Uh, they put him on a ship and he goes by sea uh, to a place called Athens. Now he leaves in such haste that uh, Silas and Timothy are left at Berea and Paul has gone into uh, Athens and he is sitting there, but he sends word back that, hey, I need you. I need uh, Silas and I need Timothy to come to me as quickly as possible. So while Paul is sitting in Athens, uh, Silas and Timothy are on their way to join back up with him. And so what we're about to read here is when Paul is waiting for them at Athens. And this is what uh, in Acts, the 17th chapter, we read about starting in verse 16. And it says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and the Stoics encountered him and said, What will this babbler say? Others, other some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him into Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is? For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear something new. Then Paul stood up in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. The word superstitious there means religious. So he would say, I perceive that in all things ye ye are too religious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions or your objects of worship, I found, an altar, uh, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, and him I declare unto you. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, 
seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply or perhaps they might feel after him and find him, though he be not very far from every one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your poets have said, for we are also his offspring." That's a lot to read there, but it's important that I set the stage there for uh, the things that are going on here. So Paul's ministry, uh, just in, all contained in the 17th chapter of Acts, has not been a, a very fruitful ministry. It has not been um, without uh, a lot of troubles, uh, so much so that he's having to jump from one city to the next city just to escape probably from being killed, maybe if not killed, beaten, which happened to him many times, as he tells by his own account. But he finds himself in the city of Athens, and while he's waiting for Paul and Silas, he's not just, I mean, while he's waiting for Timothy and Silas, he's not just twiddling his thumbs. As Jeremiah said, there clearly in the, the, the ministers of the gospel is a fire that God puts in there, and as he's sitting in Athens, he cannot stand what he's seeing, and that's a city wholly given to idolatry. So when he's in the city of Athens, it's very interesting to me that he sees a, a, uh, an altar, and on that altar has an inscription that says, To the unknown God. And Paul tells these people, Look, I, it's clear to me that you are very religious, and I'm, I'm even seeing the, an object of your worship here, but you are somewhat ignorant. That's his word, not mine. You're, you're ignorantly worshiping something, and, and you don't really even understand or know what you're doing. And if I could summarize, uh, the, the, the mindset of the people of Athens here, it is not very much different from the mindset that we have currently in our nation. And that mindset is this, that God is more of a concept to them than a real God. Are you with me on that? That God is, is really just more of a concept than a real God. Right. Now, what do you, what do I mean by that? You know, a concept is just an idea or a thought. And I think, and I'm talking about God's people now. I'm not talking about the wicked, the, the wicked, you know, alien center there. I'm talking about God's people. It's easy for us to fall into a trap or a, a, a place of where we're stagnant spiritually and, and, and we believe in God. We, we go through the motions, motions of worshiping God, same, same as these people. But... He's more of just an idea than, you know, what you hear many people say in churches today is as a personal savior. And that's really what he is. That's what he should be to all of us, not just a concept. And, and the, the mindset that they're in, if you have never been there, you chances are you probably will be there where over time we, we call it getting in a rut and God just becomes more of a concept. And that's what's going on with these people right here. And so it's interesting to me that when Paul talks to them about, you know, you're, you're, you're religious. Uh, I see that you're very devoted to your worship, so much so that you went through the trouble of, of building an altar and, and inscribing on it uh, to be an object of your worship here. But when he, he, he gives a little short sermon to these people, and as he begins to close that out, this is what he says to them. He says that they should seek the Lord if happily or perhaps they might feel after him. Now, he's saying that God's people 
should have more than a concept of God. There should be a feeling that is generated inside all of God's people that we have towards God. And that feeling motivates us, does it not? We see many, many different times in the Bible it was a, and I'm not, listen, uh, you know, there, there's a, there's a uh, you need to understand that there is a great difference between just human emotion and the Spirit of God. And we've confused that a lot in churches that uh, we can get up here and we can stir your emotions your human emotions and the spirit of God be nowhere near here. And so a lot of churches have, have, have really used that to, as a measuring stick to how well is our church doing by how much can we make you cry? How much can we make you shout? That is not a measuring stick of the spirit of God. Amen. But that does not mean if you're crying or shouting, the spirit of God is not present. But there is a difference. But we cannot discredit human feeling. And human emotion, God clearly reaches out to that and touches the, the heart of the human where the seat of our emotions are all throughout our life, does he not? And he's telling these people here, there should be, God should be more than a concept to you. There should be some sort of feeling that you have. He says, you should seek the Lord if perhaps you'll feel after him and find him. And then he says, he's not very far from every one of us. So... It was interesting to me as I read through that, we talk about feeling, feeling the presence of the Lord. In the book of uh, 1 John, let me just read this, this uh, first verse here in the uh, book of 1 John. John says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. He's talking about Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, there is a, there is a, um, a very very, very short window in the span of time since, since creation, a very short span of time that you could actually physically put your hands on Jesus Christ. Now, maybe 33 years that, uh, that, uh, that he, he walked upon this earth in the flesh and his, you know, as, as, as a child, his family handled him. And I'm talking about these apostles, these disciples that followed him. Once he began his ministry, maybe about the age of 30 years old, there's a span of about three or three and a half years when these apostles would look on him as a savior. Because remember, for a long time, he was just Joseph and Mary's son. Yeah. But as he, as he begins to teach and to preach and he is revealing himself as the son of God and the savior, that's, that's three, a little over three years. Now, very small amount of time in history. Now, how, how precious would it have been? You know, for me, you know, and, and, and you can read psychology, psychiatry, all those types of things. There is something very powerful about physical touch. And, and there have been papers written about children that grow up that do not get to experience a physical touch and embracing from uh, their loved ones that it affects them mentally. And so we all experience that. Now, some of us are more huggers than others, right? Uh, if you come into the Primitive Baptist Church and this is your first time and you got hugged, don't be surprised. It's the first of many. When I first came to the Primitive Baptist Church, that's one thing I thought. I was like, wow, these people hug each other. But it rubbed off on me. I would not say that I'm a, I, I came into the, to the church being a big hugger, but I've become that. Why? Because there's something about that physical feel. That's important. And I can tell you uh, from a personal standpoint, there is when, when I can go to Tiffany 
And when I can hug her and embrace her, not just in a little side, I mean, just really, really embrace her. There is a, and, and every one of you husbands and wives ought to understand this. There is, that is a place that I, I can get recharged, restored, and it just does something for me. To just feel the physical embrace of my spouse. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's just a special place. Same with my children. When you have one of those children come up and they put your arms around you, it has a way of just wiping away a lot of the bad things on your mind. You understand that, don't you? Amen. For about three or three and a half years, people could do that with the Lord. And what we have written in the scriptures is just a, just a fraction of what all went on. You know that there were times that these apostles and disciples, they had bad days, and where did they want to go? I just feel like, and I'm the same way I had a bad day. If I can just get home and just feel the physical warm embrace of my family, I'll feel better. Well, what do you think they did with Jesus? And it's not, I don't think it's any small coincidence that we find uh, at what we call the Last Supper, one of them is laying with his head on his chest. Why do you think he was doing that? He, 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 if he's human, he probably thought, now all these other guys are going to think this is weird. But he just, he had to. He had to. Because there was a place where he could feel. And God was not just a concept to him. He felt it. It was powerful. Now, I want to look at a few places in the Bible and talk about ways that we can feel our Lord. Because no matter where I go today, I cannot find the Lord Jesus Christ in his physical body to embrace him. But that does not mean I cannot feel after him if I couldn't why would the Lord have inspired Paul as he uh, at Luke to as he wrote the book of Acts to uh, write about Paul telling God some of God's people you need to feel after him I want to start in John the 8th chapter and I want to read just a little bit of this passage to you in John the 8th chapter I'm going to go ahead and start reading for the sake of time in the first verse It says, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery when they had set her in the midst. They say unto Moses, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. Listen, and, and, and this is a sermon for another time. This has nothing to do with this woman. These, this woman is brought before the crowd because of Jesus. And you think about that sometimes when you see one of God's people put on the front page of the paper or put uh, on the front page of the news for taking a stand for Christ and people are, are, are dragging them out in front of everybody. It ain't about them. It's about Jesus and their hatred for him. Then they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no no man condemned thee? 
She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. And go and sin no more. Do you see that picture, that, that stage that is set? Now, even though this woman is a pawn to try to trap Jesus, maybe, I don't know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes prior to this, this woman is just kind of living her life doing the sinful things that she was doing. She was wrong. Don't misunderstand that. The Bible warns us in the Old Testament that be sure your sins will find you out. Listen, if we can't take a lesson from some of the things going on in today, it is this. Your sins will find you out. And hers found her. She is taken. The Bible is very specific that she was taken in the very act. She is drugged, not in her Sunday best. But you can imagine a public humiliating display in front of everybody. Her sins have found her out. And now they have come to the forefront of her life and as she is exposed and everybody knows what she's been doing. That's a hard place to be. But you can probably kind of relate. Even maybe not in this way. Maybe there have been times in your life where your sins all of a sudden come up to the front row and everybody is aware of what you've been doing. It happens. This woman, let me tell you what she does not need. She does not need a concept. Are you with me? She does not need a concept. She needs to feel. And what we see after the Lord has just in the most beautiful way you can ever imagine. I mean, only the Lord could have done it this way. She stands in front of the Lord and she probably has her head down and she's probably crying and she's humiliated and and, and the Lord talks to her and he says, where are thou? Where are your accusers now? Can you imagine her standing up and looking around? And, and the, probably the, the pinnacle of her humiliation throughout her entire life. She looks around and it's just her and it's the Lord. And he says to her, neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. You think she felt something right there? Yeah. What'd she feel? She felt forgiveness. She felt that. You don't feel forgiveness when God is just a concept to you. But she felt it. Let me give you another one here. I wish I could go on and on about that one, but I want to get to another one here. I got about a hundred, but I'm going to give you two. Jesus has been crucified. Jesus has been resurrected. And in John the 20th chapter, this is what we read. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. John, the 20th chapter, verse 19. Came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had said so, he showed unto them his hands, his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so I send you. And when they... When he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see his hands, in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, And thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. That's a pretty low place. 
Now, remember Thomas, I mean, we, we kind of beat up on Thomas a little bit, but do you remember uh, back in John the 11th chapter when uh, they have sent for Jesus because Lazarus is sick and dying and Jesus says to them, let us go into Judea. And his, his disciples say, are you crazy? Do you not remember the Jews tried to stone all of us, tried to stone you when, when you were dealing with them? Why in the world are you going back into Judea? And what does Thomas say? Well, if he goes and dies, I'm going to die as one of him. I'm going with him and I'm going to die also. That's dedication. Thomas is, Thomas is not short-circuited in his brain. He is not a Judas. But now Thomas is at a place in his life where he is struggling. And he's been, I, I wish I could paint a picture to you if I had the time of, of all the things that had happened to them and what must have been running through their mind. You talking about a mental overload? Right. As, as they sat there trying to process the last three and a half years of all the things that had happened and seen, and now the Lord is gone, his tomb is empty. What in the world is going on? And Thomas, it affects Thomas so much that he says, the only way that I believe is if I can put my finger in the, uh, in the nail holes of his hand. That is a bad place for a child of God to be because you know what that is saying? That is saying I am on zero when it comes to faith. I have no more faith. And it says after eight days, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger and but this I, I I love this. Of all the things the Lord could have said, he knew what Thomas was struggling with. Of all the things he could have said to that woman caught in adultery, he knew what she needed to hear. He knew that they needed to feel something. Listen, I I, I have been where Thomas is. I've been where Thomas is and that I have prayed to the Lord. Lord, you know what Thomas needed? Thomas needed to feel the Lord in a very real way. That's what he needed. Now, shame on us because we don't see the Lord in all the small things. I think about it. I'll, I'll talk, tell a story about Miss Diane real quick. Tiffany and the girls had to go over to Mississippi State one day. And they uh, stopped at a Chick-fil-A there to eat. Uh, eat lunch and they're sitting there eating and lo and behold in walks Miss Diane and they saw each other and they were able to sit there a very unexpected meeting but they were to sit there for 20-30 minutes however long it was and just enjoy each other's fellowship and when children of God find other children of God it's a blessed thing and Miss Diane was telling me about that and, and one of the things that she said to me she says you know we just need to see God in the small things the realness of God in the very small things. Who hath, who hath despised the day of small things is what the scripture said. The very small things. But I have been to the place in my life where it's like, God, I need to feel your realness. I see the small things, Lord, and I know I take them for granted, but I need to put my finger in that nail print. That's how low my faith is. You know what the Bible says? That we do not have a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Amen. You know what that says? That God, the Lord Jesus Christ, He is a sympathetic God. That He knows what the woman caught in adultery needed. He knows what Thomas needed. He knows what I need. And you know what hit me during all that? I said, God, I need to feel your realness. My faith is out. There was just a simple thought that came to my mind. And it was this. That Luke, if I'm not real, where in the world did you come from? 
Now that's simple. But I probably would say for a month, that rolled around in my head. And when I was done rolling that around in my head, I was able just to step back and look at God's creation, His people, and say, if God was not real, where did all this come from? And that's how God dealt with me. But how does He deal with Thomas? He says, come here. And He puts the finger in the nail hole. He says, I want you to thrust your hand into my side and say what? And be not faithless. Because that's what he was out of. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God, I could talk to you about Stephen. I could talk to you about Peter. I could talk to you about any numbers of Bible characters that did not need a concept in their moment of trial. They needed to feel they need, Thomas needed to feel his realness. Peter needed to feel a return of fellowship with him. The woman in adultery needed to feel forgiveness. There were people that needed to feel his mercy. And we feel those things because we have a high priest that understands what we struggle with. Now, let me close with this as we go back to Acts, the 17th chapter. Paul is standing there. He is looking and uh, 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 he's dealing with a group of people that have a great concept of God, but they do not feel after him. And he preaches to them and says, listen, you need to seek him and perhaps you can feel after him. And he ends with this because he's not very far from every one of us. Let me tell you, I, I, I couldn't go through it without crying about it. But you think of all the people in the Bible that were suffering physically. And they needed to feel. What about, the, I, I love the woman with the issue of blood. You think she needed to feel something or you think she needed a concept? She, she took her concept and she went to the doctors, right? She went to all these things, and the Bible says she was out of all of her money, and she was not better, but she was worse. A concept did nothing for her. But she felt what? She actually felt the hem of his garment and the virtue flow out of him into her. That's somebody that felt. But now I'll say this. Paul had a thorn in his flesh. And he begged for the hem of that garment, but he didn't get it. But he felt, what did he feel? Grace to rise above it and continue. God's people need to feel after him. I don't know what you need to feel this morning. I've had times in my life I've needed to feel many things. But you need to understand that he's a merciful high priest who is sympathetic with us and he understands and he wants to fill us with the feeling of power that He is there and real and understanding. And I don't know what measure of that you need to feel this morning, but I want you to remember that. And if God is just a concept to you, I pray that you beg God to be real to you and to let you feel Him. I hope that's been profitable to you. And please pray for Brother Tim as he comes.